0: Let's pray together, and as we go to prayer, just with the words of Psalm 92 in mind, Psalm specifically says in the scripture, a song for the day of worship, where it says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord and sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness by night. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by what you've done, and I will sing for joy at the works of your hands. Father, thank you For the assurance of your word, the promises of your word, the testimony of your word, that you are always, always, always worthy of our adoration and praise. Father, blessings come and go, and burdens do as well. But the The word of the Lord endures forever. The name of the Lord is above all names. And Father, whatever is going on in our lives, whatever burdens or joys we carried Him with us this morning, one thing never changes. There is one enduring reason that we come back again and again, and that is because the name of Jesus is worthy to be praised. The name of Jesus is worthy to be celebrated and honored. Your Son, Jesus, is worthy of our first and our best. And so, Father, we thank you. Thank you for all that you've revealed to us already so far by by report and testimony, by worship and Scripture. Father, that you are revealing to us that you are a living God, that you are the true God, that you are powerful and mighty and active and that you are doing things both that we can see with our eyes and then, Lord, beyond that, extraordinary things in hearts as well. Father, we thank you for the testimony of, of ten children coming to know in a personal way the wonderful name of Jesus this week. And Father, we we pray that that seed would take root and grow. Father, we thank you for those of us, Lord, again, whatever condition we've arrived in this morning, at the very least we can say, Lord, you got us here. And now we're trusting you to speak. Father, as always, we know that the sermon is not about the one who preaches. And if it is, that's a problem. But it is instead about the, the word of God. Being proclaimed so that the Spirit of God can apply it to hearts and lives in personal and powerful and specific ways. Father, no preacher, no man, no one on earth is capable of that task, only your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, in these next few moments together, as we open the scripture, as the word is presented, we pray as always, we pray more than ever that you would be our teacher, that your Spirit would guide us in truth that he would guard us from error and misunderstanding, that he'd deliver us from a proud heart or a broken heart or an indifferent heart. Whatever the condition is, sweep it away so that in these moments together we might see Jesus. May we see him clearly this morning, Father, as we go to your word. May we see him only this morning, Father, as we go to your word. And in a little while, we we intend, Lord, we don't just hope, we intend to leave rejoicing, not because we came to church, but because we sat at the feet of Jesus who loved us enough to lay his life down and take it up again in victory. It's him that we seek. It is him that we praise. And it is in his name that we pray as all of God's people together say, amen and amen. You may be seated. Boys and girls, you're now dismissed to go to Children's Church. And you know, as, as they go, and I invite you to take out your Bible, I hope you have one with you this morning, and turn in it to 1 Kings chapter 18, let me just sort of cap off what Greg shared, and, and even what Maggie did earlier in 1 Kings 18 is where I want you to go in your Bible, but as you're, as you're making your way there, you know, it really was, I was thinking about this as Greg was speaking in first service, it was eight years ago this weekend that we moved to this location, that God moved us from our old building up by Mount Mercy down here, and we have been praying regularly throughout those eight years that God would give us open. Open doors to share the gospel with our city. Um, and it's taken eight years of praying and waiting and seeking that God is now beginning to open doors in massive ways. And, uh, and as God would have it, that is very much in keeping uh, with where we are going in His Word this morning, the, the importance, the value, the significance, really I'm going to use the word payoff of persisting in prayer and seeking, continually seeking God for answers and direction and help. That's exactly what we're going to see this morning in 1 Kings chapter 18 as we continue our study of the life and the ministry of God's servant, the prophet Elijah. We're going to read the text in just a moment. We're actually, this is our third week, if you've not been here, if you're visiting today, our third week in 1 Kings 18, continuing to look at one solitary day in the life and the ministry of God's servant Elijah. And we'll read it in a moment, but in order to sort of set up uh, where we're going and, and, and sort of bring everyone onto the, the same page to begin with, maybe my sharing with you that, that I really believe one of the more... Um, Fascinating on one hand, but largely forgotten eras in the history of our nation, in American history, is the Dust Bowl era of the 1930s. I've read a lot about it. There's something about it that has fascinated me for a long time. And and, and you've probably heard, perhaps, in school growing up about the Dust Bowl era of the 1930s. You may not know a lot about it, but the fact of the matter is this. For a span of of at least eight, almost ten years, uh, down in the, the panhandles of Texas and Oklahoma, spreading into eastern Colorado and western Kansas and other parts of the high plains as well. There was a combination of things that converged in a literal perfect storm. First of all, there were years of drought, years and years of little to no rain falling. That was on top of, of a decade prior to that, some very faulty and destructive farming practices in that part of the nation, and then combined with a typically windy climate, as I said, literally a perfect storm or series of storms, happened where almost sometimes on a daily basis in the 1930s the winds of the high plains would stir up millions and millions of tons of topsoil throw them into the air and then sweep across the plains literally destroying everything in its path you get a sense the scope of the the devastation in a couple of these pictures in fact a couple of the storms were so severe that the topsoil they stirred up as they came across the high plains went all across the United States and even on occasion was known to darken the skies over New York City and Washington, D.C. You get a, a little, it's a grainy picture, but you get a glimpse of, of what this season in our nation's history was all about. And I share that story with you because in the people's desperation for relief, and when you've got drought and things like this happen, people become desperate. They were willing to try almost anything to make it rain. It sounds preposterous to us today, but there were there were people who were known, there are recorded occasions, this would be a, appropriate for us right now in Cedar Rapids, they were shooting fireworks into the sky because they literally thought it might shake the rain loose from the clouds. They were built, or at least they were proposed, it became cost prohibitive, but someone proposed and they drew up designs for massive open-topped water containers that would be heated all across the Great Plains so that condensation would rise into the, we thought we can make clouds since there aren't any appearing and maybe it'll bring relief. uh, to our our desperation, to the lack of rain. And then there were, of course, many, many people, the stories tell us, who prayed. They prayed that God would send rain. But the fact of the matter is that for years, nothing changed. For years and years, nothing changed. The drought continued. The dusters rolled on. and, and, And even many, and the historians say it's so, even many desperate praying believers wondered if maybe God had forgotten them after all. We've prayed, and we've prayed, and we've prayed and no rain, much the same way people in ancient Israel certainly must have done where we pick up Elijah's story this morning. And I am going to go so far as to suggest that perhaps even if only momentarily that desperation, that fear, that thought that maybe God has forgotten may have even momentarily crept into the mind and the heart of Elijah himself. Because for three and a half years, and if you've not been with us the last several weeks, you need to know this, for three and a half years, the Bible tells us not a single drop of rain fell on the northern kingdom of Israel there was no morning dew there was no evening showers there was no relief whatsoever and that's because there was a drought that Elijah himself had prophesied back in 1 Kings 17 God said go to king Ahab and you tell him because of the idolatry in the land and the wickedness in the land which we've talked about in detail over the last couple of Sundays God said it's time to bring that to a stop and so in order to bring the people to a place of repentance in order to get their attention God said no more rain not till I say so in order to get them to turn from their idolatry. The drought was sent by God. And last week we witnessed the dramatic showdown. If you're familiar at all with the story of Elijah, it's probably the story that most of us know best. The showdown on top of Mount Carmel, where the prophets of Baal, that was the primary idol the people worshipped, and Elijah, God's servant, by himself, squared off once and for all to finally resolve the question, whose God is the true God? Whose God is really running the show? And if you look at your Bible, just to take a half step back to verse 38, we're told that at the end of that showdown, the fire, verse 38, 1 Kings 18, the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and the water. And as a result, verse 39 says, the question was decided Everyone knew when all the people saw it, 1 Kings 18, 39, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. But here's the thing. After the fire fire fell and after the people worshiped, And after, as the final verse, verse 40 from last week says, the prophets of Baal were dispatched forever, perhaps even to Elijah's surprise, guess what happened? It didn't rain. Not immediately. Not right away. Everything had happened that God had led Elijah to believe was going to happen, but the rain didn't fall. Verse 41, look at your Bible. It says this, now Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the roar of a heavy shower but as we're about to see in a moment there was not so much as of yet a cloud a single cloud in the sky and that's when Elijah did the only thing that he could the one thing we've seen him do each and every time we've looked at his life together over the past several Sundays Elijah the prophet began to what to to pray and to pray intensely and fervently to see what God would do. And according to verses 42 through 46, if you look at your Bible with me, this is how the rest of that pivotal day on Mount Carmel went down. It says, After he sent word to King Ahab that there was the sound of the roar of a heavy shower, it says this, beginning in verse 2, here's what the scriptures say. Ahab, the king, went up to eat and drink. But Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel, and he crouched down on the earth and put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, Go up now. Look toward the sea, that'd be the Mediterranean Sea to the west. So he went up and looked and said, There's nothing, no clouds. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for rain. And Elijah said, Go back seven times. And it came about at the seventh time that he, the servant, said, Behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. And he, Elijah, then said, Go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down so that the heavy shower does not stop you. And in a little while the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he tucked his garment up under his belt, and he outran Ahab to Jezreel. Now one author, one Bible scholar suggests, never thought of it before, that this, not the showdown we looked at last week between Elijah and the prophets of Baal, but that this is the real main event of First Kings 18, that this is perhaps the most important thing that happened up on Mount Carmel in the northern kingdom of Israel that day. I don't know if that's true or not, but maybe by the time I show you the three things I want you to see here, you'll be able to decide for yourself. Because in this story, there are three things, in fact, that I believe we need to see to understand what was going on and to realize what significance, what difference it can make in our lives. And the first one is this. First thing I want you to take note of, we've laid it out, or I've tried to lay it out for you already, is the fact that after everything else he'd been through that day already, number one, Elijah the prophet had a new dilemma. Elijah the prophet was faced, was presented with a brand new dilemma, Which again is this, the fire had fallen, all the prophets of Baal were dead, all the people knew who was really now running the show, but so far no one in the land is getting wet. The promise of rain hasn't been fulfilled. Now God said it would be. Go back to chapter 18, verse 1. It happened after many days. The word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. Now Elijah's done everything God told him to do, and it's not raining. Nothing's happening, and, and while in the moment, according to verse forty-one, Elijah was confident enough in the Lord to send Ahab home for dinner. Ahab, uh, you know, your 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 part here is done. I'd like to suggest it probably wasn't long before Elijah began to wonder: Have I missed something here? Is there a detail I've overlooked? Did I get my signals crossed? Something gone awry? Because I thought it was going to rain, and it hasn't started to rain. Here's the question. Why isn't God doing what God said he was going to do? You've been there, right? Been there in your life, if you've known Jesus long at all. You've asked that question. You, I don't know what the specific, whatever it is, fill in the blank, uh, situation or circumstance may be, but I bet if you've known Jesus long at all, there's been a time when you've prayed something like this, Lord, I read your word. Lord, I I trusted your promises. Lord, I did everything that I thought you were telling me to do. And I even did it with a happy heart. I tried. And I trusted. And Lord, it's not that you didn't give me the answer I wanted. It's that you haven't answered me at all. I see no sign that you're working. I see no sign that you are keeping your promises. Maybe you've even been so bold as to tell the Lord straight out, you're not keeping your end of the deal. I'm guessing that maybe you've been there. I'm not saying for sure that's what Elijah thought. Maybe he did, and maybe he didn't. I'm just saying it's possible, and that I'm pretty sure you've been there, as I know I have too. That's Elijah's new dilemma. And because you've been in that place, I'm just going to assume, and I've been in that place before as well. And if we haven't, we will be again someday. There's a second thing we need to see in this story, and it's really where we're going to drill deepest. It's the thing we need to see most, which was that when Elijah realized, I've got this new dilemma, after everything I've done, God still isn't doing what I thought he was going to do, Elijah, as I said, began to pray. And the second thing I want you to see is he prayed zealously. In keeping with the theme of our series on Elijah, Elijah the prophet began to pray zealously. And you know, at the risk of sounding like I am maybe oversimplifying things here, almost to the point of absurdity, what the next three verses we're about to look at show us are the solution to the problem. Of what do I do when I've been praying and praying and God's not answering, or at least I can't tell that he is. What am I supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? And you've prayed and prayed and prayed, and you've trusted his promises, and God hasn't moved. In these next three verses, we are given the answer. And you know what it is? It comes down to three words. Keep on what? Praying. Keep on praying. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. I don't mean, everybody say he doesn't mean at least I don't necessarily mean pray more. Now, I'm not against praying more. I think you probably understand that. But here's what I'm saying. If it, As if, let's just kind of make it silly and simple. If you were praying about your problem five minutes a day, uh, resolving that, well, from now on, I'm going to pray about it ten isn't necessarily what I mean by keep on praying. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. I'm not necessarily saying you got to pray more to show God how serious you are. I'm not even saying you have to pray harder. Frankly, I've, I've studied a lot of prayer the last few years. I have no idea what it means to pray harder. I don't get it. Uh, I don't understand when somebody says, I'm going to pray harder. I don't know. Does that mean I kneel deeper? Does that mean I furrow my brow? Does that mean I, I shed some tears so that God knows I'm like really serious? This I don't know. I'm not trying to be silly or foolish. I'm just saying I'm not, it, it's not more emotion. It's not more energy. I've got to stir it up so that I'll really kind of turn something in God's heart. I'm not necessarily saying it's about praying more or praying harder or praying with more emotion. No, what I'm saying is simply this. When it comes to prayers that haven't been answered, pretty simple, don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Keep laying whatever it is before the Lord. And as you do so, Elijah's example in these next three verses gives us help to understand how we might go about it. There are three things I see about Elijah's prayer, the first of which is this, in, in praying, in taking this question of, Lord, where is the rain? Why haven't you answered? The first thing I see in verse 42 is he prayed, and he prayed fervently. Elijah prayed to the Lord fervently. Now, it's interesting. Some people, and I read a couple of them this week, say, think, that we should not necessarily assume that in verse 42, uh, Elijah was praying because the text doesn't specifically say so. It says he he crouched down on the earth and put his face between his knees, to which I say, well, what else would he be doing, right? He's crouched down. He's, he's not saying, where did I leave my keys? Where did I put them? He, yeah, I mean, he's not... Just, He's not just tired, okay? He's not just confused. It doesn't say he was praying because it doesn't have to say he was praying. It's exactly what he's doing. He's seeking the Lord for help, for direction. This is the posture. Posture is not everything, but I think posture is something in prayer. And this is the posture of focused, fervent prayer. And we should take note of that because think about what he's already been through in this day. He's already been through an entire day's worth of physically exhausting, emotionally traumatizing, and spiritually draining battle with the prophets of Baal. That's already behind him. That's in the last six to 12 hours. He's had a week in in one day worth of activity and action and stress and all the rest. But what does Elijah understand here in verse 42? It ain't over yet. Thought it was, but it's not. Surely, I thought, he would have thought, after after we killed the prophets of Baal, the rain's going to fall, but it isn't. It's not over. Because the promise of rain still had to be fulfilled. And so what does Elijah do? Well, to block out every distraction. And just go before the Lord and the Lord alone. He crouches down on the earth. He puts his face between his knees. And make no mistake, he prayed. He prayed in humble submission he fervently laid it all over lord you promised right i think that's what his, probably his prayer was lord you promised you said you were going to do it <laughs> lord let's let's have some rain lord you said you were going to do it make good on your promise he just kept going he prayed fervently in doing so secondly verse 43 would tell us and this may be even more important at least practically speaking this morning for you and me, when the promise of rain didn't seem to be fulfilled, Elijah not only prayed fervently, he prayed secondly, expectantly. I believe there was an attitude of expectation in the prayers Elijah prayed. Let me ask you a question. This is a personal question. This is not a raise your hand question. You just work it out between you and the Lord in your own heart. When you pray... All right, I'm going to assume we do pray, all right? Assuming we all pray when you do, and particularly when you pray about a burden or a question or a need of some kind, just in your own heart, are you more likely, which sort of way are you bent, to pray with the thought in mind that God probably will answer you and what you're asking Him for? Or are you more likely to enter into prayer with sort of the idea that God probably will? won't answer what you're asking. him. I'm just asking, what, which way is your heart bent, okay? Do you pray with a sense that God probably will or God probably won't answer you, if not favorably, maybe even not at all? Now, you probably know already the answer to that question, which ways. Some of us are optimists and some of us aren't. But with that question asked, let me now tell you something on the authority of God's Word, and it's this. That if you lean more to that, God probably won't answer. I know he never He answers other people, but he doesn't answer me. He's not going to figure this out. He's not. If that's the way you lean, listen, I understand there is a danger in presuming upon God, but I'm not talking about that. I'm saying if this is the direction you go, you are on far shakier biblical ground than the person who is optimistically, expectantly praying, thinking God will reply. And that's not my opinion because the people I live with can tell you I am not a natural-born optimist. I'm a natural-born pessimist. We call it realism, but I know it's really pessimism, right? But even though I'm not a natural-born optimist, I do try to be a pretty good biblicist. And here's what my Bible says, and if you look, your Bible says it too. If you go to the New Testament, in fact, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 7, and I'm going to get there in just a second. But in the New Testament, when Jesus talks about prayer, he talks about it a lot. We've talked about it a lot here. He says several very important things for us to remember, one of which is found in the passage we, we call the Lord's Prayer. This is not where I'm asking you to turn. The Lord's Prayer is found in Matthew 6 and also in Luke chapter 11. And when Jesus says the Lord, so he says, when you pray, pray this way. Don't make it up. Pray this. Here's the way, the, the direction I want you to pray. Here's what he says. You know the words. Give us this day our daily bread lead us not into temptation right forgive us our trespasses and sins what is he teaching us to do he is teaching us to pray with the expectation that god is going to answer provide us with daily bread keep us away from temptation and forgive us the wrongs we've done he's teaching us to pray expectantly you go to Luke chapter 18. Again, you don't need to turn there. But in Luke 18, Jesus tells his disciples a story. Parable. I'm not going to tell you the parable. It's a long parable. But in Luke 18.1, Luke prefaces the parable by saying the following. Luke 18.1. He says, at that time, Jesus told his disciples a story. Quote, here's Luke, Luke 18.1, to show that at all times, everybody say at all times, they ought to pray and not lose heart hopefully expectantly now Matthew chapter 7 this is my favorite of all when it comes to how Jesus and telling us the attitude with which we should take our needs and our burdens and our prayers before him you know these words ask and it will be given to you Matthew 7 7 seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and him who knocks it will be opened For what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf of bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he won't give him a snake, will he? If you then, Jesus said, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Listen, that's not my word. Who said that? Not a trick question. Who said that? Jesus said that. Not a lot of wiggle room or gray area in those verses. He is teaching us to pray in a spirit of expectation. So with all of that said, here's my question. Would it therefore be safer to assume that when verse, now come back to 1 Kings 18, when verse 43 says that Elijah said to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. Remember, he's looking for clouds, looking for rain. And he went up and looked back and said there's nothing, and he sent him back six more, a total of seven times. Would it be safer for us to assume that each time Elijah sent him back up the mountain, it was with a growing sense of anxiety that God was going to fail or a growing sense of expectation that God was going to answer. Again, biblically speaking, which is the safer assumption to make? Anxiety or expectancy? Again, I can't get inside of Elijah's head and neither can you. But I'm saying This is what the Bible says in other places. And I do know that it is oftentimes, if not most of the time, in that attitude of expectancy where our prayers fail, where our prayers come up short. In fact, F.B. Meyer, in uh, writing, commentating on this passage, makes that very point. He says, quote, this is exactly where so many of our prayers fail. For our prayers are shot like arrows into the air. They're like letters requiring no answer because we ask for nothing and we pray without expectation." Man, I read that, and I go, I don't need to share that with you. for conv- I'm convicted enough myself. We pray without expectation that he's going to do anything. But what am I saying? I, I'm saying I think Elijah's example on Mount Carmel is we should pray with great expectation when we keep coming to the Lord. We should pray, number one, we should pray, Elijah's example says, fervently. Number two, his example says expectantly. There's one more thing in these middle verses about Elijah's prayer, and and we've alluded to it already, but let me just get it out there clearly as well. Elijah's prayer, according to verse 4, was a prayer that was offered perseveringly. Big word. Elijah prayed perseveringly. Now, just to be fair, just to try to be objective... Since once again, and I've said this, we've looked at this verse every week, James five seventeen says that Elijah was a man just like us, right? Remember that? We've seen that verse. Let, just to be fair and to try to be objective, let's at least entertain the possibility that, that somewhere between verses 42 and 44, despite everything I've just said in the last five or seven minutes, that Elijah got discouraged. A little bit. Maybe there was some doubt in his heart. Maybe there was some discouragement. I mean, that probably, if Elijah was a man just like us, that would be the most human thing to do, right? uh, I mean, seven times. You're going to get discouraged along the way. Let's just assume that entered in there somewhere. Even if that's so, I'll ask the question again. What didn't Elijah do? Let me answer the question. Elijah didn't quit. He didn't quit. Even if he was discouraged, even if he was downcast, even if he's looking over his shoulder a little bit, going, you sure there's no cloud in the sky? He didn't quit. He kept praying. The word is he persevered. And you know, there's no way to know how many times Elijah may have thought he was going to have to offer this prayer. He didn't know it was going to be seven. We know that because we're reading after the fact. Could have been 14, could have been 21. We don't know. There's no way to know what Elijah was thinking about how many times am I going to have to pray for rain. And again, without this is going to sound so trite and so silly, but at the same time, you know it's true. The fact of the matter is this. It doesn't matter how many times he was going to have to pray. Every time he did, he was one prayer closer to the answer. I know that much for sure. Every time he prayed, he was a prayer closer, a moment closer to God's answer and so the message here when it comes to prayer is repeat after me don't give up say it all together don't give up that's what the verse says because it came about verse 44 the seventh time But the servant said behold a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea and you know what elijah said good enough for me (laughs) here it comes god is faithful and while we never know for sure, we don't, how many times we're going to have to ask, right? You're asking God for some stuff. I know you are. We don't know if we're going to pray about something once, like the prayer for fire last week, or seven times, like the prayer for rain this week, or 70 times seven, because sometimes that's the, really the way it all goes down. Here's the point. Sooner or later, God answers his people. Sooner or later, God answers his people. Our task is, is simply to persevere, to pray fervently, to pray expectantly, and to pray perseveringly. Now, even with all of that said, and granted it's probably enough, maybe you're still wondering why, as I was, even sort of having worked all that out here with what it says, why in this instance God's answer wasn't immediate. I mean, what did we see last Sunday? Everything was that was necessary for rain to come back to the land had been accomplished. There was no more promise to fulfill, or promise, uh, uh, unfulfilled promise leading up to the promise for rain. There was no more instruction that Elijah had failed to carry out. Maybe, I hope, you're still wondering why in this instance God's answer wasn't immediate even though everything that seemed necessary had already transpired. I think that's a fair question. I think it's a really important question. And it leads to the third and the last thing I want to share with you this morning from this passage, which is that according to verses 45 and 46, this was a purposeful delay. The last thing I want you to see is that in view of this new dilemma and through Elijah's zealous, persistent praying, God was up to something. This was a purposeful delay. Because the fact of the matter is that these final two verses, I want you to look at them with me in your Bible, 45 and 46, they are kind of mysterious in their own right. And about 3 o'clock Friday afternoon, I thought, you know, I really should have given them their own sermon, but it was too late, so we're going to deal with them right now. There's a lot going on in these two verses. But for our purposes, they signify a couple of things. Because when in response to Elijah's zealous prayer, it says this. Look at your Bible, verse 45. That in a little while, the sky did grow black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower, and Ahab rode in his chariot and went to Jezreel. Now, Jezreel's 20 miles away. It's where he had a palace, and his wife, wicked Queen Jezebel, was waiting there for him. We'll see that next time. Ahab got in his chariot and rode through the storm to Jezreel. Verse 46 says, the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he tucked his garment up under his belt and outran Ahab to Jezreel. Who's with me? That's kind of mysterious, right? Right? There's something going on there that that we may not understand. Well, I think there's two things, and I'll try to pull it all together with this. One, this is sort of a passing observation in order to get to the other, but I want you to see it. It is a sign. There is symbolism here, because Ahab's in his chariot. He's got all the physical power. Elijah's on his feet, and he runs and arrives there first. You know what it's signifying? The picture of the prophet running out ahead of the king. Spiritual order of the land has been restored. King follows prophet. Prophet. Man of the people follows the man of God. It's a sign that the spell of Baal worship had been broken and the order had been restored. I think that's worth noting. That's what God's up to here. But there's something else that we want to see. It's more significant, and we'll dig into it more deeply next time, into the specifics. But what it shows, this fact that, that Elijah ran out ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel, And it took seven rounds of prayer even to get to that point. The bottom line is this. What it's showing us is God had more work for Elijah to do. There was another assignment that God wanted him to complete. There was something else God had in store. And I have a hunch Elijah didn't see it coming. Because he's probably up on Mount Carmel and the whole prophets of Baal thing goes down and the fire falls from heaven and the prophets are executed and he's probably somewhere in the back of his mind thinking, my life's work is done, right? I was called by God. He prophesied. Rain comes back. Wipe out Baal worship. And Elijah's probably thinking, I'm good, right? God is good. God wasn't thinking that at all. This was a big deal and we don't want to minimize it. But what this fervent, expectant, persevering prayer session on mount carmel had done you know what it was doing it was preparing him for the next assignment even while he was fulfilling one plan god was preparing in this case miraculously elijah for another in other words as i said this was a purposeful delay because here's the thing and if you've tuned out tune back in i promise we're almost done here's the thing While through those seven rounds of prayer what's elijah thinking what we'd be thinking I am trying to get a hold of God's answer, right? I'm trying to get a hold of God and figure out what he wants me to do. That's not what's really happening here. What's happening through these seven rounds of prayer is God is getting a hold of Elijah. Teaching him our first question from this series, do you trust me? Will you follow me? Yeah, Elijah's trying to get a hold of an answer from God, but God's doing something much greater. God is getting a hold of Elijah more deeply probably than Elijah even thought was possible or necessary. And I'm not making that up. Look at verse 46. Look at what it says in black and white in your Bible. Then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. There it is. Seven rounds of prayer so one thing could happen. God could grip him even more deeply so that he could use him even more greatly in the future because more was to come the promise of rain was going to come one way or another rain was going to come back to the land of israel but when it did that chapter in their history is closed god's opening a new book for elijah and the same goes here's the point the same goes for you and me when we're called to persevere in prayer yes you're trying to get a hold of something from god and that's fine the bible says you can pray with expectation ask and seek and you'll find understand when god's calling you to persevere he's up to something you're trying to get a hold of him he's trying to get a hold of you because he's got something else in mind so that his glory will shine in your story. And I think knowing that, knowing that those seasons of prayerful perseverance are more about God having his way in us makes all the difference, whether we're praying for rain... Or reconciliation, or provision, or healing, or protection, or wisdom, or whatever else. God's purposeful delays are his way of preparing us for what he's going to do next. But here's your objection. You say, but I'm no Elijah. Yes, you are. That's been the whole point of this series so far. Remember our verse, let's put it on the screen in case you've forgotten. James 5.17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. It means Elijah was a man just like us. Now, let's see the rest of it. And he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain and it didn't for three years and six months. And then he prayed again and it poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. It all happened, why? Because Elijah prayed. And he was a man just like us. I think God really does want his people to pray. I think he wants us to persevere when it's hard. I think he wants us to not quit. Yes, so that we can receive the answers that we are after, but much more so because, as the big idea of today's message says, zealous prayer is God's way of getting a grip on us so that his glory will shine in our stories just like Elijah. Father, we're slow to be convinced that we are just like Elijah. I am. He's a Bible superhero. He did great things. He got fire from heaven and ran ahead of a chariot. And Lord, there's more yet to come as we're going to see over the next several weeks. But Father, if we believe your word, and, and, and we do, it says that Elijah was a man just like us who prayed, and that's how great things happened for the glory of God Father, so in one sense I pray for those of us who are not convinced that you want to use us in ways, although specifically different, in the same vein as Elijah, Lord, that you would move us in that direction, of believing that you can do great things in and through us as your people. But much more than that, Father, I pray this morning for those of us who are struggling in prayer, tired of waiting, frustrated with, Lord, I've done everything, and yet you're not moving, and I want to know why. Father, the only hope we can offer, but it ought to be hope enough, is that you're up to something in us, even when you're not up to something it would appear to our eyes for us, even though you really are. Father, give us the grace to persevere, to pray one more time, to, as it were, send the servant up the mountain again and say, are there clouds yet? because my God always comes through. Sooner or later, he always comes through. Father, take the things of truth spoken this morning, things that we need to hear, and seal them to our hearts, and let all the rest be forgotten, so that we leave with eyes and hearts and minds fixed on Jesus alone, in whose name we pray. Amen.